This is the We Are UOT podcast. My name is Nathaniel Heisler, and my production partner is Hollis Moore. We are QP3902 members putting together this podcast to engage issues we feel have deserved attention during the strike. This episode is going up after the membership meeting of Thursday, March 26th, so it is possible that we as QP members will be back to work heading into arbitration. That said, I believe that the interviews presented in this podcast are worth listening to regardless of the results of the vote today, in that while this strike may be over, we will be collectively experiencing the ripple effects of it for some time to come. This episode focuses on CIs. It contains two lengthy discussions with CIs who are outside of the funded cohort and outside of years five and six. So effectively, minor wage gain increases and health care changes exempted, they will not, on paper, gain much from collective uh, agreements we are likely to receive. Additionally, due to U of T's business-as-usual stance for the first few weeks, CIs and their experiences of the strike have not received much attention, but their experiences are an integral part of the university landscape at the moment, so please take the time to listen. There are three interviews in this podcast. Mike Callahan and Laura Sikstrom are both CIs that have agreed to be interviewed. Lastly, there will be an interview with Rebecca Bartell, one of the tireless picket captains who have made the strike work. We'll start with Mike Callahan. One of the groups that I kept feeling were being sort of covered over or forgotten about were actually the Unit 1 CIs, because there's a lot of talk about TAs and... I mean, there's sort of this afterthought of CIs painted onto the bottom of the I Love TAs button. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I feel that. I mean, the strike, I support, and I'm obviously on strike, but like in my case, I was never in the funded cohort, right? I, I came into U of T with external funding. The department never gave me a penny, actually, and I never got TA ships as a result. So I don't really have a dog in that fight. Like, guaranteed funding's never been my thing. But I do care about labor issues more generally, and I do care about, I mean, I think graduate education more generally is kind of busted. <laughs> and uh, it's unfortunate maybe that this QP strike has to be the tool with which we address some of those issues. Forgetting about course instructors also plays well into the university's narrative that everything's fine. That it's just a handful of TAs and grad students that are on strike and they make a good wage and who cares. And I think for the average person, it's hard to believe that students actually teach courses at university and that entire courses are being canceled as a result of that and stuff. So, yes, I agree with you. We have been forgotten. All right. What classes are you currently teaching as a Unit 1 member at the University of Toronto? This semester I am teaching three courses. They're all in the Department of Anthropology, uh, but one of them is in a subunit of the Anthropology Department that is called Health Studies. The Health Studies course is a fourth-year seminar on health research methods, It's got 20 students in it, and they're all sort of senior undergraduates, fourth-year students who are looking to graduate, any of them, in a few months. The two anthropology courses I teach, one of them is another fourth-year seminar on research methods again, and it's an ethnographic methods class. So the students actually go out into Toronto and do firsthand research, do independent research projects of their own. And we sort of together learn how to do this kind of research and write it up as a project. And then the third course that I teach is in the Department of Anthropology. It's a third year, and that's a bigger sort of lecture class. It has 70 students in it, uh, or just under 70, I should say. And that is called Deconstructing Epidemics. It's essentially a medical anthropology course where we learn about infectious diseases throughout history. So I guess altogether, that's about 100 100 students maybe that I teach this semester in three different courses. Uh, First of all, Congratulations. I heard that you won a teaching award. Can you tell us about this? Yeah. I mean, I think I told the students that it would be sort of deliciously ironic if it wasn't also really, really depressing. The Anthropology and Health Studies Students Association are a really active sort of student group who organize all kinds of different events, student student teacher events and career night and things like that. And they recently started this contest to give an award, I think they call it excellence in teaching, to recognize a teacher in the department who they they think does an especially good job of engaging with the students and so on. And I just found out, I guess on Sunday night, that uh, I won that award. And I was really uh, 
if I'm honest, I was moved to tears by that. It, it means a lot more to me, actually, to hear that from my students than from the university, particularly since the university tend to be kind of hands-off about teaching. They don't seem to care too much about pedagogy compared, let's say, to high school teachers or something. So to hear that I won that from the students was, was incredible news. It was also heartbreaking because of the circumstances. I wish desperately that I was back in the classroom. But as it is, it's really flattering, really humbling. I'll take it. Yeah. And just to be clear, this is not an award that is targeted towards Unit 1 members. This potentially tenured faculty, permanent faculty were eligible. Absolutely. So it's an award for the entire year for anybody that teaches in the department. So that includes absolutely sessional lecturers, the tenured professors, assistant professors, and then people like me, the Unit 1 student teachers. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. It, it, as I say, it does really mean a lot. So in terms of these three classes that you're teaching, how have you left things with your students? Uh, it's a mess, if I'm honest. Yeah, I have canceled, in effect, all three of my classes. So that is to say, I'm not teaching. Nobody else is teaching them. And all of the work that was due has just been sort of suspended. It's not a very elegant solution, and I wish there were some more clever way to do it. That means that some assessments are just going to have to be lost. In one of my courses, students were going to be writing a quiz a couple of weeks ago, and I, I just don't see much point. That quiz is now basically gone. So in all three, my students are working on final essays for the class, and they're still just working away on those. And in one of those classes, in my third-year class, the students will also write a final exam. That's scheduled for April, and so they will continue preparing for that. On the surface of it, this is okay. The students can keep writing away on their papers uh, and hopefully supporting one another, getting help where they can from things like the Writing Center and other resources like that. But it also isn't, it seems to defeat the purpose of being at university in the first place. The students are not getting any feedback from me on their papers. And that is, in some sense, what they paid for, right? I mean, I hate to be mercenary or, or pecuniary about it, but the students aren't getting the product that they paid for right now. They're working away on their papers alone. They could do that without being students at the U of T. That's the main frustration I'm hearing from them. So the short answer is that my classes are, are on hiatus, essentially. They're suspended. Your classes are on hiatus. That's right. What kind of communication, if any, have you had with the department or any other branch of the university that might be attempting to influence how things proceed? Yeah, that's been, I think, maybe the most frustrating aspect of the entire strike for everyone involved, from undergraduates right all the way through to the chair of the department, is just the total lack of information all around. People have no idea what's happening. They have no idea what the plan is, you know, if there's a plan. I have been in pretty constant touch with the chair of my department who's a really good guy, and, and I think I, I respect that he's stuck in a difficult position. He doesn't want to be seen to be trying to influence me or to interfere with my position as somebody who's on strike, but also owes some sort of debt to all the students in his apartment who, are, who have very real questions about if they're going to graduate and so on. So I'm sympathetic to that. Before the strike even started, he and I had sat down in his office and just had a, a sort of casual chat about what would we do if there was a strike. And then, as now, I think there's a lot of good intentions all around, but it's tough to come up with concrete plans about what, in fact, we would do. I was frustrated by this, by the lack of information, especially about course instructors, specifically. And so I sort of spearheaded a, a letter that all of my fellow course instructors in the Department of Anthropology on all three campuses of the university co-signed in which we asked the chairs of our respective departments for some clarity and some guidance and some leadership. I think they're trying to walk a fine line between not being seen to coerce us into action one way or the other, but also not being seen to sit entirely on their hands or to be indifferent or apathetic about the situation. And so we collectively wrote this letter, or I wrote it and people edited it and signed it, to say, please get off your butts and, and take some leadership here, right? And do some things that are more meaningful. Set some actual deadlines or take some positive action to ameliorate the situation. And that was well received, you know. We had answers from, from the chairs of the departments. And then, of course, we continue to sort of, all of us continue to lobby the provost and the president of the university, although that, I don't think, has gone, <laughs> has had quite the impact that we would hope. 
So in terms of looking for action from the tri-campus chairs of anthropology, what kind of action is even possible at this point? I think the chairs themselves are frustrated because at some point beyond kind words and a pat on the back, there's not a lot that they can do. My impression of the strike generally is that the the president, the provost of the university, the registrar, are offloading responsibility as much as they can. And so trying to to ask chairs or deans or indeed individual instructors like us to do whatever they like. And that leaves, it's nice to have that kind of freedom, but it's also a bit worrying to think you have no set of best practices, no positive action that you can take. What we were asking for from the chairs was some, first of all, sense of clear communication. My, my own students, when they're in touch with me, are really anxious because they don't know what's going to happen. They want somebody in some position of authority to tell them what the hell's going on. And so I think even if the chairs were to hold info sessions with undergrads, where they give them an update about the status of the strike or when they give them some sense that the department has their back and is working to solve this problem, that would help a lot. I think it would also probably from the beginning of the strike have been really helpful or really wise if somebody in the department even the chair had set up some sort of action plan or timeline. You know, if the strike extends beyond one week, beyond ten days, beyond two weeks, beyond three weeks, you know, at what point will we start to take certain steps? Right? Then at least we would have some sense of action. And instead, we've all erred on the safe side of waiting and watching. And that's okay. Uh, that's a principled stance, and I can respect it. But. I think on some level people are crying out for action, the students especially, the undergraduate students especially, are getting desperate to know what's going to happen. I, I suppose I was hoping maybe for more sense of leadership from the chairs, more sense that they were going to do something. Right? I should add, lastly, that at least on my campus, the chair, as well as many other chairs on that campus, have been really active in writing letters to administration. So the chair of my department sort of spearheaded a letter-writing campaign to the provost, and then just today wrote another letter to the dean urging the university to go back to the bargaining table, explaining that things in our department are suffering as a result of the strike and so on. So that was an example of some leadership from them that I really admired and that I think is much more effective than just me as an individual writing a letter. When it comes from the chair, I think it carries a lot more heft. So that was an example that was really positive to me. And what about the roughly 100 students that you're teaching, have they made any moves to change the syllabus? Have they made any demands or made any requests? That's a, a difficult one. It's a tricky situation. So one of my classes, for instance, immediately started a Facebook group, started sharing ideas about what to do. They were also helping one another with their final projects and stuff. It was really positive. And finally, after a couple of weeks, these students, some of these students on this Facebook group said, okay, enough of this. We're going to go talk to the chair of the department. We need to ask the chair what's going on with our course, who's going to grade our assignments, who's going to help us write our assignments, and so on. And so uh, this Thursday, the chair is going into the class to speak with those students. And I suppose to offer them some, some guidance, some support, some feedback. In my other classes, the students are less organized and still kind of in the dark. I individually get emails from them, right, one person at a time, asking me what's going to happen, when is the due date for this or that, um, should we still write our essay, and so on, but not nearly the same collective action. So I get the sense that a lot of students one-on-one -on -one are individually visiting the administration, visiting the chairs of the departments, even sending out emails to the dean and things like that, saying what the heck is happening. But collectively, so far, only one of my three classes has organized themselves and taken action. And would you say that that group, which has organized itself, is supportive of the strike? Or are they, at this point, starting to become more critical? Right. I mean, I think on some abstract level, Hollis, just about everyone is, is supportive of organized labor uh, until it becomes inconvenient or, <laughs> or really obtrusive, right? People love the idea of, of unions until it's really hard to get a parking spot on campus. I think the students in my class, many of them are positive about the strike. They, they don't hold me personally responsible or bear any grudge on that front. But they're also very pragmatic. They realize that this is their last semester of university. A lot of them want to apply to graduate school. They hope to get good grades. They want 
to carry on in a research career. So they were hoping to use this class as a chance to learn a lot of important skills for what comes next. And I sympathize with that. I mean, whether or not you approve of the strike, the fact is they haven't been taught in a month. And they need to be taught. They want to be taught. So I think at some level they consider the strike perhaps more abstractly and they support me in the abstract, but they also really want somebody to come in and give them a hand. So I think that's where, that's probably the line that most of my students are treading right now. I mean, I have... I have had a few emails as well from students who say, well, we're not going to support someone coming in to talk to our class because that sounds like strike breaking. I mean, there are some really uh, militant kind of pro-union type undergraduate students, and there are some, I'm sure, who are totally indifferent to this, who just consider it a pain and want to get on with their studies. U of T just recently announced that it has no intention of extending the semester. Is this something that you expected? Does this announcement come as a surprise? What's your reaction? It's not a surprise to me at all. In fact, I didn't think that they would extend the semester. My read of the situation, with you know, I'm not an expert, but my read of the situation is that the university has far too much invested in the summertime for them to want to extend. So there are a handful of factors here. One is that organizing the final exam schedule for the spring is tremendously complicated, and reorganizing that schedule would be more complicated. The university has a ton invested in their summer programs, so summer school, also summer residents, you know, students who move into res and live there during the summer from abroad, things like that. This summer we also have the Pan Am Games happening in Toronto and the U of T is really involved in that. A lot of our facilities are being used, our residences and so on. So I think even extending the semester by a week or two would, would create so many logistical hassles for the university that I don't see them being willing to do it, even if it might have been the right thing to do pedagogically or something for the semester. I, I, I never expected an extension of the school year. Along with the announcement regarding not extending the semester, U of T also announced that students will be able to cancel or credit no credit courses after their final grades have been released without academic penalty for courses that they're taking this term. Can you tell us what this means from the perspective of a course instructor? Sure. Uh, it means a few things to me, uh, at least as I've currently sort of digested this, <laughs> this development. The first thing that's interesting is that this is the first time, at least that I'm aware of, that the university has sort of openly admitted that, that this is not business as usual. Right? I, I think the line that they've been trying to cling to during this strike is a narrative that everything is fine, it's no big deal. It's just a few courses that are affected. We'll get through it. And this is the first time where publicly they've had to say, well, actually, we realize this is a bit of a catastrophe and, and we do have to take some very serious action to address this problem. And so on some level, I suppose, I'm happy about that. I'm happy to see that the university is finally meeting this head on and realizing they need to take action and admitting such to everyone. On the other hand, this seems to be sort of the most cynical possible response. There aren't a ton of options available to someone like the dean, who is not in charge of the bargaining table. He can't simply mandate us all to go back to work. But this seems to be an open admission that on some level the course instructors are losing their, their course integrity, that they no longer have the ability to determine whether a student should get an A or a B or a C, and that the university will override those decisions. I know that as an instructor, we cling very, very hard to the idea of academic independence. Right, that we should have the right to determine what gets taught in our courses, how it gets taught, and what grades people receive. And on some level, I think, well, if, if I think that this student is worth a C and the university is happy to grant them some other result, they've sort of cut my legs out from under me. I think a lot of people, in, in my conversations with other instructors, graduate students, undergraduates, I think a lot of people are reading this as a very, very cynical move by the university and a step toward turning the place into a degree mill where you show up and hand in your tuition money and as a result you get a diploma. I really hope that's not the long term here, but it looks very ugly to me. Has there been any communication to you whatsoever that if you don't step back in, this is what's going to happen, that someone's going to take over your courses, that someone's going to take over the outstanding grading? Are assignments actually being handed in or have no due dates arrived since the strike erupted? Yeah. My answer so far has been to push back all of my deadlines for final essays and things like that until the last possible day of the semester. My hope is that the strike ends before then. 
I get back to class and I can help my students manage to produce something for the, the final assessments. So I haven't yet had to deal too much with the problem of submitting assignments. In terms of getting actual words from the department or from anyone else about what I must do with my classes, that hasn't really happened either. The chair of my department has started to step in a bit and say, well, what if we did a guest lecture in your class next week? That wouldn't be scab labor, that would just be a visitor sort of offering his time or her time and things like that. That puts me in a, in a very, very awkward spot. I do feel for my students, and I agree that we ought to be, they need some kind of guiding hand to get them to the finish line of the semester. And on the other, this is a rose by any other name. I mean, you're essentially just bringing in someone else to do my work for me. I have not had anyone threaten yet that they will mark my assignments and things like that. But I think that remains my department's plan B in case the strike extends all the way into the end of the term, that somebody else will just have to mark my students' work in order to get them grades. Over these last four weeks, have you ever considered crossing the picket lines and returning to work? I struggled mightily with the decision to go on strike in the first place. And I'll explain why. I consider there to be sort of three loyalties at question in the decision about going on strike. And, and the first is my loyalty to my union. And if I'm honest, you know, I'm, I'm sort of loyal to, to, to QP. They've been pretty good to me. I've cashed a few of their health insurance checks, <laughs> you know, over the years. But I haven't lived in Canada for many years, actually, and I haven't worked at the U of T for many years. And I've not had a huge presence in, in QP's affairs. The second group is the University of Toronto, to whom, unfortunately, I feel virtually no loyalty at all. I've done a lot of studies here over a couple of different degrees and um, had a lot of great memories and made a lot of great friends. But as an institution, my experience is that they will do exactly whatever it is they think they can get away with until they're called on. And that, that seems to be holding true. So institutionally, I don't feel any particular loyalty to them. I, I consider them no different from my telephone company or, you know, my whoever else. And then the third group is my students. And I'm fiercely loyal to my students. And when you care a lot about the people that you teach, and you care a lot about their education, then the decision about whether or not to go on strike is very complicated. My father is a trade unionist. He has been a negotiator for a union for many years. And so, of course, his advice was, well, go on strike. If you don't, the union will blacklist you, you know, and you'll never get your job again. And there is a certain sense to that, but it that felt to me like a decision that would be made out of fear rather than for some sort of positive reason. And I didn't want to decide based on that. But I suppose I was left with the decision that I could either stick with my students, keep teaching in spite of the strike, cross the picket lines, and ensure that they graduate. Or, but that feels kind of short-sighted. Or I could go on strike now to ensure that they get a better education in general, that all of their classes are better taught, that they're not going to be subject to a strike again in a year or two, which seems inevitable mm -hmm. without this one. So I suppose I'm taking the long view and the, the sort of systems view instead of the nuts and bolts immediate pragmatic view. Now that I am on strike and have been from the start, I, I don't think there'd be much sense in going back. So if I were to decide I've had enough of this, I'm going back to the classroom tomorrow, I think I would just end up getting the worst of both worlds. <laughs> I would have I would have missed out on you know virtually a month worth of teaching and then come back just as the strike is sort of nearing. I think it's it's apex, and so I would have nothing to show for it. So at this moment, now that I'm out, I think I'm out for good until the strike is over. As a member of the teaching staff in the Department of Anthropology, how is this affecting the collegiality? of the department, relationships between permanent and part-time teaching staff, between graduate students, undergraduate students? Well, I think in order to answer that question, you need to think about a few different components of it. Right? Um, there's been a call throughout the strike for collegiality. We must remain collegial. This is one of the sort of sacred social values of the university <laughs> department, is that we all be collegial with each other. But to be collegial implies that we are colleagues right on in some literal sense and that's clearly not the case even without a strike going on for a, a graduate instructor like me i am indeed a teacher i teach in the department and i teach more classes than some tenured professors teach however i don't have my own office in fact i don't have my own desk i share a desk i've never been invited to a department meeting of any kind i mean the one time that i went to a department meeting was to introduce myself 
to introduce the course that I was going to teach this semester, and the chair of that meeting asked me to leave because the faculty were going to start talking about real stuff, and I wasn't allowed to be in the room for that. So there is this sense that we're not equal even at the very best of times. I mean, there's an all teachers are equal, but some are more equal than others sense to this. I think that it has damaged relationships. That's my feeling. That's my impression. I'm an anthropologist. I'm interested in people and, uh, and what they think and feel. And my impression is that as much as we want this to be collegial, as much as we want this to be friendly, as much as we want to consider that the labor disruption is something separate from our social relationship with each other as professionals, I, I just don't think that's possible. And I think that the next time that some jobs are advertised in the department, I think it will be impossible for people to forget this in this past few weeks and what's happened. I think I feel relationships being strained with students, with colleagues, uh, with, with senior members of the department on whom we all rely. I mean, I'm in this awkward position of graduating pretty soon and knowing that I'm going to go out onto the job market and need letters of reference from people who I'm also simultaneously trying to push back on about the strike. Collegiality is important. But I think if we're honest with one another, as a student and an instructor, I'm still sort of at a lower rung in the social ladder of this department. I sit below others in the hierarchy, and that power relationship is real. It's unavoidable. Is there anything you would like to add before we wrap up? Boy, I mean, I suppose I would want to add that the strike is not something that I entered into lightly. I, I thought about this a lot and I, I'm not a joiner generally. I never have been. It's not, it's not my personality. And I am not the sort who really wanted to wave a flag and, uh, and march on the barricades and stuff. This is something that I agonized over a lot and I made this decision with some difficulty. And since the strike has started, it's not any easier. I still am really conflicted about what I'm doing here. I'm still really conflicted about leaving my students out in the cold. And yet, I, I think here we are on strike. I'm, I'm upset that this strike is largely perceived publicly to be about teaching assistants and their guaranteed funding package, the hourly wage for people who mark exams or something. That's a good thing to strike about. I'm glad we're striking about it. But to me, it's a blunt instrument and a very imprecise one for dealing with what is a, a larger problem. And that, that problem is that graduate education in Canada is busted. I think you have a whole handful of associated problems. Graduate expansion. Right? We have more and more and more graduate students now with fewer and fewer people to supervise them. So times to completion are getting longer and longer and longer. You have people taking eight years, ten years to finish their doctorate. Dropout rate is hovering around 40% now in social science and humanities. You have the bloat of administrative positions. The University of Toronto has nine vice provosts for some reason. I don't know what on earth nine vice provosts could do to stay busy all day, but all of them make a quarter million dollars a year. right? So all of these problems are swirling around the university as a business model sort of takes over how we manage education. And this strike at the moment, I think, is the best or the hottest front in, in what is a sort of multi-fronted war. It's one battle, but I suspect, my feeling is, that we're going to see many more of them at this university and at others in the near future. Something has to give. That was Mike Callahan of the University of Toronto. Thank you very much to Mike for his comments and his time. We'll now speak with Laura Sixstrom. So why don't we begin by you just telling us what classes or what class you're currently teaching? All right. So right now I'm teaching a seminar called Anthropology of Childhood and Child Care. That's a required course for uh, anthropologists specializing in biological anthropology at the University of Toronto. Um, I have about 25 students who are, almost all of them are in their final year and expecting to graduate this year. So how have you left it with them? So I've had access to Blackboard throughout. So each week I have emailed them, updating them on what I know about the current status of bargaining and the status of our class. 
Um, I've encouraged them to just follow the syllabus as is and to do their work and that I would collect it when the labor dispute was resolved and grade all of it then. Um, I haven't heard from many of my students in the last couple of weeks, but in the first week or two, I had a lot of panicked emails about assignments missed, uh, especially their oral presentation. But lately, they've been quiet, I think, because they realize and they heard that they're actually not supposed to really be in contact. Yeah, so tomorrow will be the first time I see them, I think, in person since class left, since class finished. So why don't you tell listeners what's happening tomorrow? So tomorrow we're having a rally uh, or a teach-in, I guess, among all the, well, lots of course instructors. I think at the moment we have almost 100 coming out tomorrow. And they're inviting their students to come and join us and to ask us questions about the strike, what questions they have, like who's going to mark their final papers, should they do their final papers, Uh, why are we striking, what does this new academic continuity thing mean for them, what are their rights in terms of voting on the syllabus, and we're going to hopefully try and address some of their questions, and I think too they probably need to see us, you know, I think it's been a very stressful time for them to not have any guidance, you know, many of them were asking for reference letters for graduate school or had questions about where to apply. And so, you know, I think our role with these students goes beyond, you know, what they learn in the classroom, but also we have lots of responsibilities on guiding them in these other aspects of their lives because we are graduate students. So I think they really trust our opinions about what graduate school is like and what the funding is like and what they can expect from it. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. I hope, I know I've heard from a couple that they will definitely be there, but I'm not sure what to expect, honestly. Do you have a sense of how your students are feeling about the strike? Well, I know we talked about it as a class twice, uh, the two weeks leading up to the strike being called, uh, that the possibility was coming, what it might mean for them. Uh, You know, many of them like a lot of us didn't quite see it coming. So I think it was probably a shock for them when it did happen. Um, But many of them expected to be graduate students. So they were very, very interested. And in fact, two of them have already been accepted to the University of Toronto and intend to start their master's here next year. So they were very, very curious and motivated to understand what it was about and what it might mean for them. Uh, You know, others, of course, you know, have field trips planned in April for their own purposes, jobs. So one of my students is in the military and has an obligation to be away. So there's also a lot of stress for them in terms of, you know, being able to finish on time so that they can go on and do these other things. I'm worried for them because I know they're they're very motivated and very high achieving students. And I'm sure this is a very hard time for them. You mentioned that their oral presentations were scheduled but are actually not happening now because of the labor disruption. So how will you handle that missed assessment? Well, if classes had resumed this week, if the agreement had been reached, I was going to ask for volunteers to go this week. And then uh, as a class, I was hoping we could discuss um, an extra class to add on the week after uh, for students who hadn't had a chance to present to get that chance. There is no way we could cover all of the oral presentations remaining in two classes. The schedule was for two or three people to present each week. So the problem is that some of the students have already presented, but more than half have not. So without classes or extra classes, it actually isn't really possible to make up that aspect of their assessment. Um, and it's worth 30% of their grade, and more than that, in the seminars I've taught before, this is usually the aspect of their work that they, or the assessment that they like the most, because they get to pursue a topic of their own interest, and then they also get to, you know, get the opportunity to be asked questions by their peers and discuss it. So I think it's actually a very valuable learning experience, and I'm very disappointed for them that they're not going to experience that. Two years ago, I also taught a seminar, and you know, three of the students went on to use their oral presentation at a conference. So these students won't have that chance, I don't think, anymore. Yeah, recently U of T has announced that it won't extend the semester. 
is this something you expected? How are you reacting to this news? I'm very disappointed uh, with this news, and I think my students are probably also disappointed. I was expecting the term to be extended because that is how York University dealt with their extended strike. So I assumed that we would add on one or two classes during the exam period to help make up for lost course time so they could do their oral presentations. I find the decision, like a blanket decision, not to extend the term surprising and, you know, obviously this means that there's really nothing left to do with this class that we can't, there's there's no way for the students to make up the lost material, especially with a seminar where a large portion of their grade is based on participation and class discussion and these oral presentations. So I have no idea how they'll be assessed. Uh, fairly amongst them because some of them have more of their coursework assessed than others but also because most of them have submitted very little work that makes an assessment impossible for some of them. What kind of communication if any have you had with the department in which you're teaching or for that matter any other branch of the university that may be kind of in communication with course instructors? Um, I would say basically nothing. And I will also say, too, we haven't actually had a lot of communication from the union either. I think because in this, you know, there aren't nearly as many course instructors as there are TAs. So, uh, you know, we've kind of been left to our own devices on how to figure this out. This morning was the first time I ever had contact from anyone in my department. Um, and that was to request a meeting to discuss the dean's announcement yesterday that the term would not be extended. Um, aside from that, uh, there's been nothing. So they've let me, nobody's interfered with my Blackboard course. They've let me communicate with my students. Um, and, you know, all of that's been fine. But I, I, as far as what they're thinking and what they plan to do, I don't really know at this moment. Um, I've heard some rumors, but nothing concrete. You mentioned that within the union, there are relatively few CIs in comparison to the number of TAs. Do you have a sense of how many CIs are members of QP3902? I've heard that there are 600. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, we're currently compiling a list of all the CIs all the classes that have been canceled and the number of students that have been affected. I think the last time I saw it, there were over 5,000 students had classes canceled. I don't know of that 600, how many of those instructors are strike breaking. You know, at least in our department, there are probably at least 12 CIs in unit one teaching courses right now on all three campuses. And I know of only one instructor who is strike breaking. So if that is the average across campus, then maybe there are 600 CIs and maybe 100 strike breaking, but it probably really varies from department to department. Do you want to summarize for us the Dean's announcement? Well, essentially the Dean announced that because of this emergency, (laughs) which they created, you know, they would not extend the term and would basically on a case by case basis, decide whether students in a course should have credit, which means like they'll just be awarded the credit for the class or not. Or in some cases, if a grade can be assessed based on maybe an essay or a midterm, they'll get that grade as their final grade. And then there's some indication that finals will be changed and some may be canceled, but it sounds like they were basically just going to try and encourage departments to handle this on a case-by-case basis. So we will see what this means for students. Um, I think the implications are pretty clear is that, you know, students aren't expected to finish their coursework, that they will be awarded credit if they haven't done any coursework just based on being registered in the name of academic continuity. Except, correct me if I'm wrong, there hasn't actually been an official declaration of whatever that term is. What's the term they're using? I think they're calling it an academic emergency. I don't know. I haven't... Yeah. There's some on-the-books term, and I believe that they're kind of pussyfooting around and actually Mm -hmm. not 
doing that declaration and just basically having this de facto continuity policy. Exactly. Uh, now, if because yeah, if by saying they'll deal with it on a case by case basis, they're saying to departments, you can manage all the nitty gritty of solving students' grades without assessments. But if there was a, a university wide assessment, then I think the university can basically just blanket policy. This is what's going to happen to these students' grades. But I think we might look to see an official announcement later this week. It's possible that that could still happen. That an actual state of disruption mm-hmm. would be declared and the full heft of the academic continuity policy would be unraveled. Exactly. So if that doesn't happen, does anybody have the right to change the structure of your course and how evaluations would be conducted? As far as I understand it, the students have to vote on any syllabus changes, including how things are assessed, because the syllabus is a contract between the instructor and the students. And that vote has to be called one week ahead of time. So that means that my class is normally on Wednesday nights. My students... um, I could announce a vote tomorrow for the following week, and then the following week, students can vote on possible changes to their syllabuses uh, in terms of their assessment. So, for example, my case, getting rid of their participation grades and their oral presentations, perhaps having a final paper, I don't know. Um, But students can also have the right to vote to keep the syllabus the same. That always has to be an option. So on some level here, students get to decide whether they want to follow through with this academic continuity policy themselves or if they want to maintain or be assessed as students. So they also have to make this decision. Is this a direction that they want to go? I assume some students are going to find it convenient uh, you know, busy term time and not have one final paper to write. But I think many students feel robbed by this decision. No chance for feedback from professors, no chance to explore ideas that they've been thinking about through the semester. So I hope that students really think seriously about the implications of following through with an academic continuity policy. So do you intend to announce a vote for your next class or... My understanding is that the chair of my department is going to contact students with my permission and arrange a meeting next week for the students and that uh, a rep will be present to monitor that meeting. Um, And also perhaps they'll have a union rep present is an option being put on the table. I think at this moment they're just floating ideas about the best way to try and handle this so that students feel like they understand what's happening in the meeting and what their options are. I know that some other uh, instructors have told me that their students, you know, a lot of students now have set up Facebook groups for their classes. I know in the course I taught last semester, my students had a Facebook group where they circulated uh, class notes amongst each other uh, in the form of a Google Doc, and they used that to study. Um, and I know that some of these students have used these uh, Facebook groups to um, set up meetings to strategize, like how are they going to handle this as a class? You know, what do they want to propose going forward? So some of them are very actively being involved. As far as I know, my students aren't doing that, but I suppose we'll find out next week. If they were to vote not to change the syllabus, what then? It's a good question. I don't know. You know, I think the university is banking on the idea that students are going to be so worried about graduating or getting, you know, any, you know, especially for my students who do need to graduate, or need the course to graduate, that they will accept changes. Although I'm really not sure they're, you know, the undergraduates are really mobilizing against this policy, and I think they really understand that by enacting it, they're really being robbed of the education that they have paid for and expected at the University of Toronto. So I think it's going to be a very interesting thing this week. I mean, on some level, the students, you know, are demanding to be assessed. And I think that's fair. They should be assessed. They put the work in. They deserve to have someone uh, look over their work and give them advice and help them in the future. 
and they're not going to get that with a credit. Well, I wonder if enough students band together, if the university will be forced to declare a state of academic disruption and thus antagonize the faculty association because Mm -hmm. actually putting it on the books and unrolling this academic continuity policy does seem to infringe on academic freedom in ways that everything else does as well but this seems particularly egregious to members of the faculty association well and i think for the first time faculty or tenured or tenure stream faculty are also going to notice the effects of this policy because they don't have tas grading their assignments so for someone who maybe has you know, 600 students in their class and would normally have four or five TAs to grade the essays. There's just no way for a faculty to actually do the work that a TA would normally do. And so in those cases, it's not just courses taught by course instructors that are going to be affected, but it's going to be in those classes that, you know, students are no longer going to be writing essays, or if they wrote the essays, there's going to be no one to grade them. And then suddenly there's the professor has to assign a grade, like, frankly, the students have not earned, not because they are capable of earning it, but because the university hasn't enabled them to learn it. And I think that that's a real shame. Over the duration of this strike, have you ever considered crossing the picket lines and returning to work? No. I did contemplate it before, because I have a son and we need my income to pay rent and um, pay for things like food. Uh, And of course, I'm in my final year and intending to graduate this year. So, you know, this new agreement will actually not do anything for me if it is we do ever get a new agreement. But I remember how difficult or I know how difficult it is to survive on the money that you get as an instructor at the University of Toronto but also as a graduate student and I just cannot I cannot leave here without trying to change it and make it better for those that come after me and I think actually since the start of the started I feel actually much more passionate about it than I realized Um, I think, one, it's dredged up a lot of old feelings about, you know, the funding struggles I've had over the years and the fact that I'm actually still at the University of Toronto is because of the funding issues that I've had. I just basically can't afford to graduate. I've been working full-time for the last few years just to pay fees. So I think, you know, I think I have a lot of uh, frustration built up in me, and I think this strike has... um, you know, made me remember and reflect on those challenges. So I actually feel a lot more strongly about it than I did before. As a member of the teaching staff in the Department of Anthropology, how do you think this strike is affecting relationships between permanent teaching staff, part-time teaching staff, graduate students, undergraduate students, administrative assistants? What is the feeling like in the department? Well, I haven't been because I haven't wanted to cross picket lines. So I felt like unless I needed to be on campus and in the department, I wouldn't go. So while I've met my colleagues off campus, I haven't seen any faculty, um, including my own advisor. I would say that this is probably, the strike is probably damaged relationships amongst different factions in the department permanently. I think there are definitely going to be friendships that will never be resurrected that are ruined by this uh, strike. I think um, graduate students are, and in course instructors were definitely in this strange subordinate position where faculty uh, need something from us, like our grades or for us to teach classes or to help their students graduate. And we don't want to do that for them, but they are also our employers, our advisors, um, our reference letters for jobs in the future. So it's a very, very difficult position to be in. And I, I don't, I think it's 
you know, it's it's going to take a long time for some of these things to get better. And some of them, I don't know if they ever will get better. I'm sure it soured people's feelings on the department forever. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add that I haven't asked you about that you think listeners would benefit from hearing? I think uh, listeners should really understand that graduate students are doing a lot of the teaching at the University of Toronto. Um, This is the, I think, the 12th course I've taught at the University of Toronto over the last four years. So I would say that I have taught as many courses per year as a tenured professor every year for the last four years. I have students that are now in the graduate program or in the PhD program that were once my students. Um, And I think that this isn't an unusual circumstance. And I, in our department or even other departments, and I think that this, while I appreciate the experience that it's given me, and I think students themselves appreciate being taught by someone who is recently finished research and that is, you know, in a way closer to their experience. I think overall this is not good for me, who I would definitely be done graduate school by now if I didn't have to teach so much. And ultimately they're at the University of Toronto to be taught by professors, tenured full time researchers who teach for a living. And I don't even think students understand the difference. I I still get emails addressed to me as professor, and I have to explain that I'm not a doctor yet, and I don't think students even realize who's being taught at their classes. And I think that um, this has shed some light on that, the hierarchies within you know universities and the different pay scales and all of that, that I think will also have lasting impact for, for us, for course instructors, but also for students in years to come. I agree with you, but I I can't help but think that CIs, mm-hmm. Unit 1 members who are working as CIs, are weirdly invisible in mm-hmm. the coverage of this event. And I, as a CI, how do you feel when when kind of the your role is being somewhat ignored in talk of this labor action? Well... I think it's convenient for the university to ignore our role. And I think they really love having this called a TA strike because, um, you know, then it just makes it look like people are just a bunch of, you know, graders who don't really do anything of that importance. But when you actually have, like, students, professors not working, then it's a deal. I think they've done a lot of work to make it look like isn't going on um and I think that's unfortunate for the thousands of students who aren't in class because of people like me and also because it doesn't um really do much service to talk about you know things that are in the media like precarious labor mostly they're talking about sessionals or adjuncts but nobody's really talking about this new thing of graduate students teaching classes and this is new this definitely was not the case 10 years ago um, I know in my undergrad, I would never, ever talk by a graduate student. I think it was pretty much unheard of. So this is a new change, and, um, you know, I think we see it every year that there's more and more uh, courses being taught by Unit 1 instructors. Um, we're cheap <laughs> because we're basically free because almost everything we earn goes to pay our tuition. So why wouldn't you hire us? And I guess, too, especially those first few classes that we end up teaching, we invest a lot of ourselves in them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I've, you know, we get to, in our department, we get to design special topics courses, of which I taught. I taught an anthropology of pharmaceuticals, which was awarded to me based on my syllabus. And we put a lot of time and effort into that. And 
you know, these are great things for our CVs when we're applying for jobs, but they're also a lot of work. And while you're also trying to write a dissertation, uh, you know, the two interests can be contradictory. Right? Rather than focusing on our research and our writing, we're often teaching. Thank you to Laura Sixstrom for her comments and her time. Lastly, we'll turn to Rebecca Bartel, who is a picket captain for the strike effort uh, for QP3902. Until recently, the university has been sticking to a business-as-usual line. Can you speak to the disruption that pickets have caused? The, the first thing that should be really clear is that TAs and course instructors are on strike right now. So not only are tutorials canceled across all three campuses of the University of Toronto, but hundreds of classes have also been canceled. The course instructors had a meeting today. They are also organizing together with UTSA, and their classes have been significantly affected. Today, we shut down Convocation Hall, at least two classes. One class was canceled, one class was held outside because uh, there was no entry into Convocation Hall. So there has been significant disruption. Can you tell me how you go about an action like that, shutting down Convocation Hall? Well, we set up hard tickets at all of the entrances. You were able to actually be on university property doing this? We were on university property, yeah. We had the campus police were everywhere. They knew what we were doing. We we're in very good relations with campus police. They're aware of all of our actions. We usually try to have a small briefing session with them before we begin any action so they know what's up. And uh, they've been present at all of our actions. They usually know that we're, you know, they see us moving to the different sites that we've decided to picket and their presence for our safety and for the safety of students and, and staff. So in an interview I did last week with Humberto de Silva of QP National, who conducted strike training for 3902, he spoke of how picketing is, of course, an essential part of strike actions, but that today mm -hmm. there are sort of new forms of strike action that could also be effective. Have you observed any strike actions outside of picketing that you thought were particularly effective? Well, we've combined all sorts of actions in our picket line. We've done significant informational picketing in the first few weeks. We were handing out flyers. Um, we were actively engaging in discussions and dialogue with undergraduates, with um, members from our department, faculty and staff, with the general public. And uh, we had a petition campaign. I don't know if you're aware of that. We've had over 15,000 undergrads that signed a petition in support of the strikers and our asks to the administration. Um, and those petitions always involve conversations with undergraduates, conversations with passers-by, and there's a undergraduate outreach uh, committee that's done incredible work communicating and getting our message to the undergraduates and clarifying a lot of the misleading information that's been coming from the administration. We've been really intentional in doing informational informational picketing, and so. The other tactics that we've employed, for example, today was harder picketing, where we were actively in front of entrances to university buildings. We've also done car pickets, slowing down traffic, and those are also always opportunities to talk to drivers, talk to uh, people who are coming into the university. We talk to every car that uh, comes up to a picket, and when we ask them to, uh, to, to wait, we always do that <laughs> politely, and we've had generally pretty collaborative people so we've been getting the information off also through media, through different publications, and the varsity is published, the number of newspapers in the city have published different articles, interviews on television and news programs, and so on. So there's been, a, there's been a significant push to do all sorts of diversified tactics and actions, not just the picket. During the first two weeks, were any of the harder picket actions going on? And was that a conscious choice, do you know? The first two weeks, we were really trying to inform the public and the and the student body uh, what we were out there for, what why we were doing, why we were uh, on strike, and so we had pickets set up at five different locations on the St. George campus, and then we were also picketing at satellite campuses. Only in the last few weeks have we been forced to escalate our picketing tactics because, of course, the administration is they're not. Uh, cooperating in the or responding to the aspects so the bargaining team is setting forth on behalf of the membership that we've been making pretty clear since the very beginning of the strike.
have any particular tactics or actions been in your mind very successful? Well, I think all of our tactics have been successful. I think that the unified rallies we've been holding for the last few weeks regularly have been particularly successful. You get a, a sense of the number of people who are out picketing and sort of the community that's being built around the picket lines, which is one of the wonderful things about picketing together with people from different departments and different disciplines. We all get to know each other in a way that we never would have. And uh, there's a real sense of morale that's boosted when we're all together. And we also have an incredible hype squad who have been writing songs. And so there's dancing, there's singing, and those are always really effective, not only for us as picketers, but also for the undergrads to see us also, you know, friendly faces that they know on the picket lines. I think the UTM picket was particularly effective last week and the UTSC tickets that happened on Tuesday and Thursday last week. And other than that, I mean, all of our pickets have been successful. We're just increasingly diversifying our tactics, so we're still maintaining informational outreach. We're still working with undergraduates. We're still working uh, with faculty. We're still trying to make it very clear right now that the message is for the administration to write down in the contract per member guaranteed minimum funding, and that's a very simple ask. We're not asking for any more money at this point. We're asking for the administration to make a public commitment to per member guaranteed funding in our contract so that the strike won't need to happen again in three years. During Friday's membership meeting, you mentioned that there has been a big learning curve when it comes to picketing. Can you speak to that a bit? Well, as a lot of us have not been very involved with uh, unions before, most of us have never been on strike before. It's been a, a pretty steep learning curve, learning how to organize, learning how to coordinate, learning how to communicate, learning how to work together as a unified team. And I think that we should all be pretty proud of ourselves as, as to the successes that we've seen in this strike so far. If in, say, the next three or six years, QP members are back on the line, what do you think is the most important thing that you would have them know or that you would tell them? Uh, I think the issues will probably, some issues will be the same. The, some of the structural issues about the way in which uh, higher education is moving more and more towards precarious and contract labor as opposed to labor security in the academic workforce. And I think that if the union can begin to anticipate bargaining before contracts are up for negotiation, um, that would be best. And I think that there's already a lot of uh, engagement and a lot of community work that's happening in terms of across disciplines, across departments, talking about shared commitments to what a fair and dignified contract would look like as tuition increases, as student bodies increase, and as inflation increases. So I, 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 would, I would say that um, organizing early or organizing across disciplines and across departments, across the university, and also collectively with undergraduates and with other unions on campus. It should be noted that the strike committee has, did a lot of very, very good work before the strike was called they were mobilizing, they were organizing, they were educating, and without their preliminary work, we would not have as strong of a strike as we do right now. And I think the strike is strong for in the future. If unfortunately there is another strike in, in the near future, even more of that and just it, working together closely with the strike committee and the student body will be all the more important. There's been a lot of discussion about numbers on the line. What's your take on the necessity of large turnout? Large turnout, of course, is important. And I think we have actually a lot more people that are striking than strike breaking. I think that I don't have official numbers for how many people have been on the lines every day. But I can tell you that in the last few days, we've had record turnout. And we have a really committed group of of picketers who are coming out every day, a very committed group of picket captains who are out every day, many of whom are out here by 7, 7.30 every morning. And the numbers are important, but just as important are the creative and diversified tactics and strategies that we're employing. So 
um, more people could come out. We're we're always looking for more people to to come in and fill the lines, fill up morale, come and have a fun morning dancing on the ticket line. But I don't think that at this point we should be worried about about people not showing up. We're having we're having good turnouts. Come out for as much time as we possibly can. I mean, it's, we need bodies, and if you can only come out for an hour or two hours, doesn't matter. We'd love to see you. Um, it's it's fun on the picket lines most of the time. So, you know, it's uh, it's exhausting, but it's also it's been a really life-giving experience, if I can use that phrase. Okay, so I guess my last question is just, is there anything else that I haven't asked you about that you would like to speak to? Well, I think I just want to emphasize that right now, what we're asking from the administration in this contract is something that's really quite simple. We just want the administration to put into the contract write down the commitment to per person minimum guaranteed funding that is in you know at par with uh, rates of inflation and increased enrollment in upcoming years and why are we asking for that structural language because if we don't have that structural language in the contract we will need to negotiate the guaranteed funding again every time the contract comes up for negotiation and we're doing this for the future grad students that come, are coming in and those who will still be here in three years many of us aren't going to be here uh, when that contract is negotiated but we are committed to that simple last ask that is not it's not about money at this point it is about structural language and it's a simple ask it's it's an important ask and that's that's where we're at right now, and that's all that we're asking from the administration at this point. Thank you to all the interviewees, Mike Callahan, Laura Sixtrom, and Rebecca Bartel. If you have any comments or questions, please send them to our email address at qppodcast at gmail.com. That's qppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, hey.